uh, I lost everything. Um, it wasn't until I hit rock bottom after 20 years of doing meth that I was able to pull myself out. In fact, it took me rock bottom in order for me to go up, for me to go forward. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening in as we talk with leaders in our community. Joining me today is Johnny Ray with 5R Recovery. Addiction is a big problem in our community, and Johnny and 5R Recovery want to meet the addict right where they are. Johnny Ray, 5R Recovery, welcome. Thank you for having me. So why don't we start with you telling us what is 5R Recovery? So when you begin with remember, when you choose to recover, when you learn to rejoice, when you become reborn, then you can start to relive a life of service and helping others. That's what the 5R formula is. We're more than just a program. We're a network. You know, we're a movement of individuals that believe a person's story is the most valuable tool that they have into helping other addicts. I feel like we are in a generation where people think it's a one size fits all in recovery. And I don't believe that. I don't believe we should try to help people and group them together. We need to work with the individual, find out what their purpose is, what they want to do in life. But every person needs to be treated individually when it comes to their recovery. So, so that's what we do at 5R. And when you talk about recovery, what is, what are we recovering from? So I think people in general all need recovery and it doesn't just necessarily need to be from drug addiction. Um, It can be, uh, everybody should be trying to grow in their life. So recovery can look like all sorts of things. I mean, just bettering your views, um, changing your habits, um, becoming a better person, um, working on your morals, your values, uh, working on your faith. So recovery to us is not just about getting and helping somebody get clean off of drug addiction, which is, you know, mainly our focus, our focus, we get more drug addicts than anything, but we believe there's a mental health component to that. We also believe homelessness is a big part of that. And we also believe that people should be constantly working on themselves in order to better themselves and become happy, healthy, productive members of society. It's not enough to just be clean nowadays. We've got to work on people's diets. We've got to work on uh, their faith. We've got to work on, you know, do they drink enough water? I know that seems so like a minute thing, but man, people don't drink water. And, and it's it's extremely important when it comes to your health, your your mental status. I think all of us, anyone from this area, and I know you're kind of based out of Snohomish County, Everett area, but any of us have noticed the increase in homelessness and opioids. And we hear different people say it's a homelessness problem. It's a mental health problem. It's an opioid problem. Why don't you tell us your thoughts on that? So I've noticed a pattern, you know, I've been doing this for a little over two years with 5R Recovery, but I've been clean for almost four. And it took me some serious reflection to start looking at a problem uh, that we're trying to help. Um, In order to really help a problem, you've got to surround yourself with it and have caring and compassion for that problem. It's so easy to look at something and say, well, here's the remedy, right? This is what we should do. And you'll see that in a lot of programs. Like I said earlier, it's not a one size fits all. So how do we help it on a large scale? I think it comes down to the individual. I think a lot of individuals nowadays believe it's somebody else's responsibility to take care of them. When you give resources and money to something that you don't understand, you're actually causing this revolving door effect. You know, for instance, if you come to my treatment facility, which I don't have a treatment facility, I'm talking for the future. If you come to a treatment facility and you relapse and then you come back to that treatment facility and you relapse, you're creating this never ending revolving door where this option is always available. We've created this this never ending loop 
if you will, of people who are going out and then using and then going to the same resource and then going out and using and going back to the same resource. What we find out is that they have no desire to get clean because they're just looking for that next resource to use. A lot of programs and a lot of facilities, their intent is good. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have these facilities available. I just think that it's more important for us to seriously work on a person's purpose and they need to be handled and addressed in a more blunt less coddling, less victim mentality way of doing things. When I talk to people, I'm very direct. I'm very blunt. I'm very straight to the point. And my first question is always, do you want to get clean? And if your answer isn't immediately, immediately yes, well, then I can't help you. Because if you come to me, I can give you the resources. I can help you. I can help walk with you on your journey. You know, our mission is wherever you are in your journey is where we will meet you. But there's two words in that that are extremely important. And that's meet you. It's give, it's take. And a lot of addicts think that there's some sort of self-entitlement. Like we're supposed to be able to take care of you. This is our job. So you come to a person like me and they have this mentality that like you're supposed to give me things that make my life better. That five-hour recovery, we just don't do that. It's all about the hard work that they do themselves. And we just meet you where you're at, that meet you, meaning you've got to come forward, I'll come forward. There's going to be some give and take, and we will walk alongside you in this journey. We think that impact will make a bigger difference once we start getting larger in scale, once we can have more meetings available, once we can have uh, more places to speak, better clean and sober houses. You know, there's all of these things in my vision that I would like to have someday and I feel like we get lost with people between these gaps, you know, the, the gap between housing and treatment, the gap between the streets and treatment, the gap between housing and productive members of society. We've got to find your purpose. And, and that could just be with support. You know, I offer a lot of support in 5 Bar Recovery, a lot of one-on-ones, a lot of spending time with a person, seeing what they've gone through in their life, talking about their story. You know, you got to remember where you came from in order to go forward and find out where you want to be. But we can't accomplish that without breaking down barriers. We can't accomplish that without breaking down strongholds. We need to figure out where it is in your life that you need the most amount of help. And then a person has to dedicate themselves to their recovery. This isn't a matter of me doing the work. It's a matter of you doing the work. And I have no problem helping people out with resources. I have tons of people in my organization. I have tons of people that I know. I have tons of connections, but I believe relationships over resources. People think that they come into recovery and they want their rent paid, their gas vouchers. They want their treatment taken care of. They want free coaching or free sponsorship or all of this stuff. And then they're left with not working on themselves. They're left with this idea that, well, I have all these things well, and I'm clean so that I'm in recovery. We just don't agree with that. We believe that's just one of the layers to peeling back all of the layers to dig deep into what a person's actually going through. All of the people I work with, they can lead some type of trauma. They've lived through some type of trauma. It can lead back to some type of trauma. 99% of people, see, we have a different philosophy in 5-Hour Recovery. We believe everybody is an addict in their own way. So it doesn't matter if it's just drugs or sex or exercise or your job or whatever it is. Everybody has their own little addiction trait, but we also believe everybody suffers from some sort of mental illness. So when you look at it in those two fields, if we all suffer from some sort of mental illness and we all suffer from some kind of an addiction, it makes it easier for us to not feel like we're so entitled to something because we're a rarity in the world. We are not 
um, the minority when it comes to being addicts anymore. It's mainstream. It affects your family. It affects your friends. It affects your job. It affects schools. It affects politics. I mean, it affects everything. These decisions that people make are so quick to throw money and resources at something they don't understand. And so it's important for us to really try to understand why this is happening, why the fentanyl crisis is happening. I remember back when Oxycontin was the crisis. So that was a big issue, right? Oxycontin was supposed to be the wonder pain reliever drug and, and it caused an epidemic across the United States. We're not seeing anything different with fentanyl besides the actual drug fentanyl. So you remember it was, it was Oxycontins and then now we have this huge fentanyl crisis and you know pretty soon it'll be something else and it'll be something else. And it's because people in general are just looking for a way out. They're looking for where they fit in. They're looking for ways to not have to feel things, not have to face things. The last couple of generations of our life are people who have never really dealt with anything. We live in a world of instant gratification. We have cell phones at the touch of a button where I can answer any question. If there's no work anymore, a really smart person said to me one time, you got to remain curious. Curiosity is an important thing. Be curious in your life. Seek things, look for things, research things. It's not a one size fits all. There should be multiple avenues of recovery and people should seek all avenues of recovery in order to get better. Somebody listening who knows drug addicts, but they're not maybe a drug addict. And they, they say, well, they have a choice. Can you talk about that? Because I know that there's a lot of camps on whether it's a choice, if they if they have any control over getting well. What are your thoughts on that? So I believe there's a serious misconception about uh, the disease of addiction. Um, I don't believe addiction is a disease. If anything, I believe it's a disorder. If you take a drug addict and somebody who, say, is battling cancer and you stick them in two jail cells or two cells and you don't give the drug addict any drugs and you don't give the cancer patient any treatment, the cancer patient's going to get worse, the drug addict's going to get better. You can't compare those two things to me. I think it's really naive and almost arrogant for people to say that they have a disease of addiction. It's almost like passing the responsibility off to somebody else. And when you look at these other programs, this is what they implement. This is what the idea they put in your head is that you suffer from something that is out of your control. I get really frustrated with that because I, I wouldn't like to go to a children's hospital where people are actually dying from diseases and tell somebody who's suffering from a, from a cancer and tell them, well, I have a disease too. It's called addiction. I believe it all centers around a choice. I believe people in general need to make better choices in their life, in all aspects of their life. Now, I get a lot of kickback for that because, again, we've been ingrained over the last 40, 50 years that addiction is somehow somebody else's responsibility. It wasn't us. It comes from our past or it comes from our abuse or our trauma. And it, and it does. But the initial choice was there. And that choice was made by the individual. And it's an individual's responsibility to take that choice for responsibility, right? It's something that I see more and more and more that people would much rather say, it's not my fault. They use words like I was powerless over my addiction. 5R Recovery doesn't believe powerless over your addiction exists. You've always had the power to stop. You've always had the ability and uh, the knowledge to be able to stop. Um, I hit rock bottom and that's what made me stop. But after I made the choice, I didn't relapse. And it was because I decided that I was never going to use a drug ever, ever again. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't have things in my life I need to work on. 
recovery is life term. It's not long term. This isn't just a, you know, an overnight repair. What it is, is that people need to make better decisions in every avenue of their life, especially when it comes to drug addiction. I, I feel like people use it as an excuse. I feel like people use the terminology, it's a disease, as an excuse to keep using. So everybody says, oh, relapse is a part of my story. It doesn't have to be. When did you decide that relapse was going to be part of your story? We talk a lot about reservations in other programs. For us, it's about worst case scenarios. What I like to do with people in recovery is for them to list out their worst case scenarios. So what would ultimately make you use? And it should be a really far side of the spectrum, right? A death in the family, an inheritance of a large amount of money. There could be all of these different things. What is the worst case scenario for you to be able to relapse? Then we've got to be able to set up something to be able to prevent you and prevent that from happening. So if your worst case scenario is, say, losing my job, that's not far enough on the spectrum for you to decide that that's what you're going to relapse over. If you have in your head that you losing your job is going to be the reason why you relapse, to me, you're going to lose a job, so a relapse is inevitable. That's why we've got to set the spectrum so far. Mainly, the things I hear from people are a death of a loved one. Let's talk about one of the worst ones, okay? I'm going to be perfectly real and raw. Let's talk about the death of a child. If you were to lose your child, would that be what would send you out to relapse? For a lot of people, it's like, oh, absolutely, okay? That, to me, is something that I can understand and I can wrap my brain around because it's such a traumatic, trivial event, right? So what we've got to do is we've got to prepare for that. That's why we put together these plans with individual people to say, okay, if this was to happen, you have five people that you need to call. You have three places that you need to go. You need to be prepared to get out of that situation and reach out to some support. We want to put those things together so that your worst case scenario, we can prepare for. But if your worst case scenario is to lose a job or to break up with your girlfriend or something that is so minute, it's really, really hard for us to set something up for that because you know what that's called? That's called life. Life is full of disappointments. It's full of trials and tribulations. It's full of all different things that people can struggle with. So once we face that and we live that down, then your worst case scenario should gradually grow. I used to tell people it would be a million dollars would make me relapse. Now I'm being vulnerable here. So, so <laughs> with me, I used to say a million dollars would make me relapse when I would go to meetings and everybody would be like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, if I had a million dollars, you know, then I wouldn't have to worry about anything. My family would be taken care of, and that would be a reason to relapse. And this was in my early stages of my recovery, mind you. But now it's more like $5 billion. So why? why what's, that, what's the difference between that million dollars and $5 billion? Well, a million dollars isn't that much money nowadays, right? And the reason I say that is because I'm not really saying that a $5 billion would make me relapse. What I'm simply saying is through your recovery, your end spectrum changes, and it should get stronger and stronger and stronger. I want a methamphetamine addict to be able to see a bag of methamphetamine in front of him and not use. I want to build people up to where they can take that thing and dump it down the toilet, or they're not afraid to encounter a methamphetamine addict. They're not going to get, the, people have all these triggers. What triggers you? Anything can trigger you. I believe we live in a society full of people that live off their feelings. Truth and facts have been understated as according to feeling. What I mean is everybody should be encountering those feelings. When we were addicts for so long, it was really easy for us to numb, right? We like to dull the effects of life by using a substance. It was a lot easier than trying to face things, sadness, right? These are things we never experienced, at least I never experienced because I used during all of it. 
So when I got clean, it was important for me to feel again. And that you can start looking into your purpose in life. When you remember where you came from, which is our first R and five R recovery, you can learn that your story is important, that your, your trials, your tribulations, the things that you've gone through throughout your life are important and, and have value because you wouldn't be where you are today. We recover using all resources available. There's multiple avenues of recovery. It's not a one size, right? We say this all the time. Do what works best for the individual. Some people are stronger in their faith than others. Maybe a church program. Is, is better for you than maybe a fellowship, right? We have all of these different avenues to go to. So why limit yourself to just one? You know, rejoicing. I am so thankful to be alive today. I love just being alive, just being happy, experiencing the outside and, and experiencing different things throughout my life is amazing to me. I look forward to waking up and just having a smile on my face. We, we want you to learn to rejoice in five-hour recovery. You know, being reborn, short-term, long-term goals that are achievable. What do you want to do with your life? I know a lot of people in addiction, you know, they've never actually thought about what they want to do with their life. And then they get in recovery and they hear all these cliche terms like, live just for today, or one day at a time, or take it by hour. Again, five hours different. We don't want you to just look at your one day. We want you to look at your five year, your 10 year. What do you want to do with your life? People get caught up in that moment. Oh, well, just one day at a time. And it's like, of course you should live your one day at a time, but that doesn't mean you should restrict yourself from putting together these visions of what you hope to accomplish. Let's, let's find out what your purpose is and let's go forward with that. And then relive in a life of service and helping others. You know, the best people that help out in recovery are the ones who have lived through it themselves. Those are the best kind of people who serve. They're the people that come out of darkness and into the light. They're the most interesting stories, right? You meet people who have gone through all of these struggles throughout their addiction. And it's amazing to hear their end story. It's amazing to hear where they are now. I have dealt with some uh, pretty remarkable people. But the most remarkable people that I have worked with, that I work with even to this day, are the ones that have had some of the most difficult stories, some of the most traumatic events in their life. Those are the ones I want on my team. Those are the ones that I want to go out with me and try to help the people that we once were. It's time to make a difference in this world. And it's so much more than just being clean. We've got to work on all sorts of different things throughout our lives. Do you have hope for our situation? I think there's always hope with God. God's a pivotal role in my life. I think God, hope it relies in Christ. So that's where hope comes from. So for me, I always have hope. The problem that I see is that a lot of treatment and a lot of different fellowships, they don't get in, involved in the politics side of things. And for us to go forward, we've got to have the right people in office making better decisions for our country. I also believe that in our current times, they're trying to replace God and take God out of everything and replace God with false narratives, fake ideologies, and corrupt politicians who want to push this agenda that doesn't fit the American people, doesn't fit the world people, doesn't fit the idea of love and freedom. And we're making it so the people who are constantly going back to fentanyl and constantly going back to opioids, they have no responsibility. One of the hardest things I deal with in 5R recovery is when I approach somebody that I want to help and I say, what can I do to help you? What can I possibly do to help you? And do you need a job? Do you need a car? Do you need treatment? What is it? And then when they look at you and say, no, Johnny, I just don't want the responsibility. What is your answer for that? How can you say that all of this responsibility and work is better than doing this with absolutely none? 
I mean, who in their right mind would not want to have everything taken care of in their life? Living on the streets during the summertime, it's like camping. It's nice weather. There's no rain. So when you have no responsibility, you know where your meals are coming from. You can use your drugs. There's no laws that you're breaking because we've taken away, we've decriminalized possession charges in our state. You can't, you can steal from a place and run and it's not a felony. So the police can't pursue you. When you look at all of these things, I'm going to talk about an important thing and that's incentive and consequence. It's something we talk a lot about at 5R Recovery. We need to bring balance back to incentive and consequence. What I mean by that is this, the incentive is the reason why somebody would want to get clean. The consequence is if they decide they don't want to get clean. We've got to step in, we've got to intervene, and we've got to make things more difficult for addicts, not less difficult for addicts. We love to use this thing called harm reduction in Washington state, which I am 100% against because the harm reduction model itself reduces harm for one group of people, but increases harm for the other meaning the addict has a harm reduction, meaning we're trying to make it easier for them by providing needles, by providing booty bumping kits, by providing methamphetamine packs with, with all the paraphernalia. But what you're doing is, is you're increasing the harm to families who have businesses, children who are trying to get an education, the people that just live and pay their taxes and have the nuclear family, well, their harm has gone up. And I'll tell you why, because I'd love to see a statistic for a harm reduction model state and how much crime has increased every time some harm reduction method has come into play. So more businesses are getting broken into, more houses are getting robbed, there's more carjackings, right? So you're reducing harm for the people that we think we're supposed to coddle, and we're increasing harm for the people who are paying their bills, that are working hard, that are out there raising a family. One thing that really drives me crazy, and I, like I said, homelessness is like camping. Um, I don't mean it in a in a negative way. I just simply mean that when people get broken down to the bare minimum and they hit rock bottom, you're going to be able to impact that person more just based on survival, right? The bare necessities, food, water, shelter. So those three things, if you take away food, you take away water, you take away shelter, that person is more likely to get clean because they don't have those essentials. Now let's flip that side of the coin. What if we provide shelter? What if we provide food? And what if we provide water? What is actually stopping them over here and get soup in the mornings and breakfast and lunch and dinner? And they have no responsibility. They don't have to pay bills. And they can rob places and not get in trouble for it. You're taking away the consequence side of things. I actually once proposed to a couple of people in my organization, I said, what if we made a single possession charge, mandatory five years in jail? And everybody in my organization was like, gosh, that just seems so harsh. I was like, but in the same regard, we would offer treatment to them and negate that five years. And they're like, well, everybody would take treatment. Exactly. You see, that's the thing is when you unbalance that consequence, they're, okay, now let's change it. Let's change the model, okay? Now let's say we offer you a slap on the wrist and you're released the next day or you go to treatment. How many people are going to choose treatment when they know they can just go right back to the lifestyle? So we need to increase the consequence side of things. We're going to have to have the right elected officials. We're going to have to have the right legislation. You know, we work really closely with police because we cherish our police officers. They have a job that is extremely difficult. And over the last two years in particular, we have demeaned them and treated them like and demonized them as this group or this organization that it doesn't have the best interests of the people at heart. 
I respect the heck out of police officers because I was a tweaker for so long. So I know what kind of chaos I did towards police officers. So now being clean and you see them in their work, I can't imagine being a police officer and getting the calls that they get. I mean, I, I do like the whole social worker program linked with an officer. I think that's really, really beneficial. But again, when you take away the consequence and you take away no regulations and no rules and people can do whatever they want, of course, they're going to be drug addicts. So this means that we've got to get the right people in office. We've got to get the right legislation. We have to get the right officials. We have to have a joint concession with our law enforcement. We have to look at things differently as addicts are not these children that need to be walked in their handheld through their recovery. They need to work for it hard or they need to be in jail. I was also thinking like, what about if we did someplace between treatment and jail? Same thing, you know, you have your jails, you have your treatment. What about something that's just specifically for drug addicts? So when you go to jail, it wouldn't be a jail with, you know, murderers, rapists, child molesters, and all the other robbers. It would be a jail that's specifically for drug addicts so that you could go there and you could get the right treatment. You're going to be surrounded by your peers, right? You're going to be around people who are drug addicts themselves. We can bring in counseling. We can bring in coaching. We can bring in all of these different things. Now, why has that never been talked about? Well, because we much rather funnel money through nonprofit organizations who have corrupted officials, corruptive CEOs that are paying themselves $2 million a year to be able to say that, hey, look, my intention is good. I'm trying to help out a society. I'm giving breakfasts and I'm giving vouchers and, and I'm taking care of people's rent and I'm moving them into housing. And you're like, okay, that's all fine and dandy, but what is the root cause? The root cause is that people are so against responsibility. They're so against trying to take care of themselves. It's like somewhere along the way, people just decided, hey, you know what? It's somebody else's responsibility to take care of me. I need to be treated better. I need to feel better. But so that's what I think needs to happen. Do I have hope? Of course I have hope. There's always hope. I won't ever lose hope to help people, but some serious changes need to be made. And I believe my organization can help that. So we created a database. We really want to keep track of where you are and what you're doing. And again, people have this idea that anonymous, they want to be anonymous. They don't want to be known. They want to be secretive about their recovery. Again, 5R is quite the opposite. We want you to wear your recovery on your sleeve. We want you to be proud of who you are. And being proud of who you are gives you purpose because then you're not so ashamed of your past. You've learned to embrace it. So one thing we're going to start doing, which we started last night, is we're going to get you plugged into our database. Our database is, database is going to consist of your name, your phone number, and how many 5R meetings you attend. Because we believe the more 5R meetings you attend, you start to see this trend, right? It's The biggest problem I have is that between our Tuesday night meetings and the next Tuesday night meetings, people are getting lost in this, again, this crazy idea of what recovery is supposed to look like. But at our meeting, everybody gets an opportunity to talk. Everybody gets an opportunity to listen. And, and we're more like a family unit. We're not going to let you get lost. We're not going to let you get fall through the cracks. We're going to put together this database so that we can go, okay, we need to do a checkup on so-and-so because they didn't show up last week. Why didn't they show up last week? How's their housing situation? Do they need to get moved to a different house? Are they looking for work? Are they getting their licenses back? Are they being able to visit their kids? And then once we plug you into this database, it's going to be huge hugely effective because we're going to be able to keep track of you. Now, a lot of people in that group were like, wait, I don't want you to have all my information. And I believe they, they say that is because they've been programmed over the last 30 years to believe that, oh no, giving you my information is bad. I'm supposed to remain anonymous. Well, 5-Hour Recovery doesn't believe in that. We want you to embrace who you are. 
We want you to be proud of who you are. We want you to take the things that you've learned and turn that into good. So we'll plug you into the database. And then if I don't see some guy named Matt after three weeks of attending five R meetings, I'm going to have his information. I'm going to give that guy a call. And I'm going to say, hey, Matt, how are you? I hope everything's good. Are, are you okay? No, man, I've been really struggling with you know this battle in my relationship or okay well maybe we should meet up can we meet up right now and then they're instantly always in the system right they're instantly always being plugged in with other people in recovery we're a tight-knit group and of course as we expand we really like to work on the one-on-ones we like to work on the people one at a time we like to do small groups we like to do big groups but the one-on-one is where we're going to make the most difference i think so somebody listening loves what you're saying and wants to support you how do they do that Oh man, you can go to our website, 5rrecovery.org. We have our YouTube channel. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We take donations, love donations. Donations go 100% to the people. That's what it's all about. It doesn't get funneled through a bunch of people in leadership. What it does is it goes directly to the people. You know, we have people right now that are one thing that's holding them back is getting their license so that they can get a job, right? So we get them their license. People always look for an excuse to be able to use of why they don't go forward. Donations really, really help with that. Taking that 300, that 400, that $500 and giving it directly to somebody who's working. The difference between our program is, is you've got to earn that four or $500. So if you donate to us, your money goes to people who are really working on their recovery. We're not here to give gas vouchers to people who are not out pursuing a job. We're not out here giving money and rent to people who are not pursuing a better way of life. And that doesn't come from early recovery. That comes from showing up every week, letting us know how you're doing. Let's see how you've been improving. And then we'll help you with some financial things like the license or or like rent or those kinds of things. But it's got to be work. I mean, we don't just give money and resources to people. So, you know, you donate to other causes and they'll throw money at the rent vouchers and then they'll give them to every Tom, Dick and Harry that comes out of treatment. And that's who the money will go to. You give it to us. It goes directly to the people. 100% of it. Yeah, it really helps. So before we wrap up, can you just give us maybe the short version of your story and what brought you to create 5R? I was a methamphetamine addict for uh, 20 years. Methamphetamine uh, tore me away from everything. My family, my friends, jobs, girlfriends. I lost everything. It wasn't until I hit rock bottom after 20 years of doing meth that I was able to pull myself out. In fact, it took me rock bottom in order for me to go up and for me to go forward. I have been on the streets many times. I have been homeless many times. I have slept in terrible places. I have lived at trap houses. I have lost people I loved. I have lost amazing career opportunities. I lost everything over 20 years. And I never thought that methamphetamine was the issue. I always thought it was somebody else or it was uh, somebody else's problem, right? And for me, it was methamphetamine. And to be honest, it was me. I was the problem. So it took me to be able to realize that before I started getting better. Um, I moved all over the state of Washington, uh, up and down I-5, lived in all sorts of really crazy situations and circumstances. But it wasn't until I surrendered and it wasn't until I decided that I was going to put purpose in my life. That's when I made a change. And I dedicated myself to recovery now. I, I try to help people every single day. I walk it, I live it, I breathe it. It's important to me because I believe some of the most amazing stories are some of those that have pulled themselves out of darkness into the light. And I believe God is the answer to everything. And we need to reinstill Christ into all walks of life, into everything that we do. We need to surrender. We need to seek salvation. Uh, We need to knock on the door of the Lord and say, I'm here, do with me what you will. 
And as soon as I did that, my life has become amazing. And I'm extremely blessed. I'm very thankful for the support and the loved ones that I have. But it took a lot of hard work. I did a lot of stuff over four years to get myself where I'm at today. That's why I encourage people to do the same. If you want it to last long, if you want it to be a lifelong of recovery, put in the work, follow God, serve God, serve your community, serve your family, and just love people. But you can love people with tough love. (laughs) It's okay to love people with tough love. Thank you, Johnny. Your meetings are? Tuesday nights at 6.30 at New Life Church in Everett. Uh, We also have a a leadership meeting on Monday nights. We speak at the Diversion Center on Fridays. We're in the process of getting clean and sober living facilities of our own, which will implement the 5R formula. So yeah, come check us out online and 5Rrecovery.org. Do you talk to families or just the addict? Oh, families a lot, actually. We encounter a lot of parents of addicts. We also encounter a lot of kids whose, whose parents are addicts, parents of addicts, parents are addicts. You can come to us with any kind of a situation. I'm not trying to fix the methamphetamine. I'm not trying to fix the heroin. I'm trying to fix the addiction. So whatever that addiction looks like for you, we believe it's a mindset. We believe it's a disorder. We don't believe it's a disease. We believe people have addictions to all sorts of things. But if you're a parent who has a, a child of an addict, I'd love to talk to you. Uh, we have some resources that could help that out as well. And again, uh, grandparents, uncles, aunts, we do it all. You come to us with uh, an addiction problem, and we will do the best we can to help you uh, through pointing you in the right direction and th- through some hard work to be laid out. Thank you so much. Johnny Ray, 5R Recovery at 5RRecovery.org. Thank you, Lori. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening in today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community.